Hello and welcome back to We Not Me, the podcast where we explore how humans connect to get stuff done together. I'm Dan Hammond. And I am Pia Lee. I was listening to a really interesting podcast in the car today. And I went to the chiropractor and I had such a bad back. It took two chiropractors, uh, two sessions to stretch me out. But that's another story. (laughs) Husband and wife team. uh, They'd seriously got a nine iron golf club. I think it would have had the same effect. Anyway, that was it. (laughs) Could be a lot cheaper. (laughs) There we go. Exactly. So, yeah, I was listening to this podcast about the metaverse. Yes, of course. It was a couple of reporters going on the Horizon platform with their virtual reality goggles, they went to a comedy club of which there were 20 people in there and no one said a word. And they tried to make conversation and people wouldn't respond back to them. And someone sort of did sort of go, yeah, what are you doing here? And that was deep. So the sort of reflection (laughs) of it was that, you know, it it was quite cool. And the graphics, you know, still sort of a bit cartoonish, but, you know, still pretty cool. And, of course, they couldn't get closer than four feet because there's already been inappropriate touching has been reported. So that was, yeah, correctly the algorithms were changed. But it did make me think, what happens if we get so seduced by this technology that we forget the art of human conversation? Is it a muscle that will atrophy as we go through generations? Because we just train our brain away from that. I don't know. I just got a little spooked. Yeah, no, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, obviously, well, we're right to be spooked, aren't we? The last bout of social media that we all thought, oh, brilliant, Facebook, isn't this fantastic? I can see everyone's pictures of babies and things. It turned out to, because of, because of the low standard of dialogue, actually, and the low policing on that platform, you know, for truth and, and science, caused all kinds of problems. So I'm sure you're right to be concerned. I mean, I do think that the technology is very young. So I think what we're seeing now is just a sort of very embryonic thing. I'm sure that'll get better. But you are right to say, I think, Pierre, that what we need to be working on a whole lot more, or at least in parallel, is how are we interacting with each other? You know, how can we improve our dialogue, whether that's on social media or in person, improve the quality of our conversations? And if we don't work with that in parallel, I'm sure you're... I'm sure your fears are not unfounded. I don't know. It's it's an interesting one. And I think that we do need to become a bit more conscious of it, which is why we have (laughs) Andy Chevis, the curiosity king that he is, expert on curiosity. Yeah, no, this is great. So uh, Andy's uh, a senior consultant at LIW. We've known him for years, but and he has an extraordinary understanding of the human dynamics and how that plays around in a team and what goes on and is unsaid. And he can withstand the silence of any man that I know. And he can ask a question and wait. Exactly. And I've worked with Andy with a client who who called him Mr. Headspace because his also his voice itself is just absolutely lovely to listen to just like the man in the headspace app so let's give everyone a treat and go and hear andy now 
Andy, it's an absolute joy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this, actually. Excellent. Well, so have we, strangely. So have we. We've been counting down. It's been 221 <laughs> sleeps since we decided to have you on the show. <laughs> but who's counting? But who's counting? So, Andy, tell us a bit. Tell us why we've been so excited. Tell us a bit about yourself. Well, of course, we do know each other very well, don't we? And probably most of my uh, steepest learning curve has been actually in the room with one of you two in front of a leader well, or we two. didn't know what we were doing and we passed it over to you and I, I pretended i did and that's how we rolled so very quick bit of background looking after mainly design and research now uh, with liw but still keeping my hand in with uh facilitation working with mostly senior leaders certainly intact teamwork thinking about how people work together to make the way that team hums in the most efficient way possible. So Phil's sweet spot for this uh, podcast. Last 20 years, I guess I've been thinking deeply about the act of leadership and more recently, how that becomes a bit of a team sport and how the act of leadership works when it's intermingled with other leaders. And of course, as we all know, how that creates all sorts of pitfalls And I think the real opportunity is to increase our ability to have effective dialogue. Well, we haven't got much to talk about then, have we? (laughs) This should do it. I think this is going to be a long episode. And what got you to this point, Andy? What were you doing before, before all that? So my background, I think a lot of people in our line of work, we come from some sort of people background, don't we? And uh, my background was HR director for an organization in the UK. Uh, and then again, uh, we set up an, a business in Australia. And that's what brought me over here. Student accommodation, funnily enough, which I was perfectly equipped for because I was a student once. And so I thought that was plum for the role, really. But no, my role uh, uh, way back sales. And I think that's where my interest in dialogue started because you know, if we know anything about effective sales, it's really about relationships and being able to have a proper conversation with someone, an effective conversation, and all of that with a real lens of curiosity, because we don't properly understand our customers. It's very difficult to meet their needs. And I think that's really flowed through my discovery of coaching really early on. And then I took that into my roles in HR and operations. And it's always been a an ever-present kind of piece of who I am, I think, really. The constant attention to the way that we have conversations. And if we think about that in the team sense, then, you know, that's how we come together. If we don't have conversation, if we don't meet, then it's very difficult to work out how best to interact and and do great things well that's a lovely hint of what we're going to get up to in a minute oh sorry did i give the game away no that was the end of the podcast it's over i know i know what you're trying to do you're trying to avoid the conversation starter card game which i'm now going to play oh i can't wait okay so i'm going to choose a card at random just to get to know you a little bit in a different way oh that's a nice one it's a green card and it's i'm incredibly proud of oh that's easy i am incredibly proud of myself no (laughs) it does come back to team actually i'm incredibly proud of our history if i think about us as a business that you two have been a very big part of until very recently i'm incredibly proud of what we've done together and now 
continue to do and looking towards the future. I know, of course, there's always a sort of a commercial element, but I truly believe that we are in it for the right reasons. And we've sort of dedicated our lives to making other people's lives just that little bit better. I'm really proud of that. I think um, we always had a saying, still have a saying, that we hope every programme that we run every interaction changes people's lives in some way, shape or form for the better. And that's something to be really proud of, I think. And by the way, we enjoy what we do. So that kind of makes it easy. Very lucky. Very lucky indeed. So, um, Andy, we are here to talk about the topic of curiosity. So I'm going to start this off with what is it? What are other words that describe curiosity? Because sometimes we default to only that word and really we need to spread it out a little bit and look at different ways of looking at it. What is it first before we start looking at why it's important? It's a great question. I, I think you're dead right. We do need to separate it out because there's, there's two elements to it really when you think about, we, we were talking about effective dialogue earlier. And of course there's two elements. There's the listening bit and there's the talking bit, both necessary, but one kind of a little bit more important and oddly in the converse, a lot less demonstrated. And that's the listening element. I think we're actually quite good at talking. We're quite good at making noise, not quite so good at holding this sort of open space that allows other people's talking to filter into our understanding so other words for curiosity that that's quite a tough one actually I, I haven't been asked that before but the words that come to mind for me are things like learning connecting relating you know you think about Covey's statement around empathic listening and it's all about getting trying to get inside the experience of somebody else another human and so curiosity becomes a kind of a holistic pursuit really that our whole body is trying to engage in the activity of being curious and i think that word being we as you well know we talk a lot about doing and being and the world's absolutely obsessed with doing but i think the curiosity piece has a a much stronger leaning on the being bit and so if i was going to separate it out yeah it would be listening big big underline in bold and then talking, which, of course, is the questions bit. Why Why do we do it? What's our under, underlying reason for it? What's the value that curiosity brings to dialogue? Yeah, that's a good question because why do we do it? I'm not sure we're very clear on why we do it. I think I can answer that question in, you know, what could we get if we did it well? But it's quite interesting, isn't it, that in – normal conversation i think generally speaking our experience of especially senior leaders they are very used to telling other people stuff they're very used to having to be the one who has the answers and provides the direction and so why do we do it uh, my first answer to that is i don't think we know i don't think generally we go about being really clear uh, about why we should be curious and therefore it just doesn't kind of become habit why should we do it well because otherwise leadership becomes a very lonely pursuit you know we can be in a room amongst a bunch of other people but if we're not curious we're still kind of on our own 
we are with our own thoughts, with our own fixed points of view, with our own expertise and experience, and all we're doing is projecting that out. If we take a curious stance, then suddenly we are among other people, we're relating with other people, and we're benefiting from all of the things that brings. And number one thing that comes to mind, as I said a little bit earlier, is learning. But I think just a feeling of connection, a feeling of support, a feeling of being in rhythm with somebody else, a a sense of common ground, common purpose, all those things come if we take the time to be curious, to understand what's behind the behavior and actions of another person. So easy for us to make up our own mind and then listen from this fixed point of view. But actually, if we can cultivate this being of curious, then we often can prove ourselves wrong very quickly. And then we'll start to learn. So Andy, and what does it look like in a group? You talked about leaders interacting with leaders. What does it look like when it's working really well in a team or a group? And against that, what does it typically, how do teams typically operate against that? You know, how well are they doing? What do you see from your work with teams? So I think the best indication of whether people are being curious is the amount of comfortable, quiet space between words and thoughts that are shared. I think the answer to your second question is what we typically see is a kind of a yes and situation where somebody says something and somebody else sees a gap in the conversation, a tiny chink in, you know, a little glint of sort of space between what somebody said and what the next person says. And they see their opportunity to add their thought. And, you know, that, that comes from a place of just wanting to share my expertise or establish some sort of credibility. So I will add something on top of what was said. Unfortunately, what tends to happen is because we weren't listening properly in the first place, we're focusing much more on this is the thing I really want to share. There's no guarantee that what I say actually adds anything to what was said before because I didn't really hear it. So I'm just going to say what I wanted to say in the first place. They're like filler statements, aren't they? They're just sort of like just adding a bit of fill onto the top of, you know, just... Not really adding any substance to it. Not really any substance. And I'm laughing because we all do it all the time. I wouldn't want to set out my stall and say, you know, I'm the world's foremost expert in demonstrating curiosity because I I think the first step is to realise that we're really bad at it. And, and notice when we're being really bad at it because we all do it all the time, don't we? But yeah, we do these filler statements. But I, mean, I have to say, even recording these podcasts, you know, it, it's easy to drift off into what I'm going to ask next. And actually, what we're going to do is listen to what you've actually just said <laughs> and see if we can build on that. But you know, right now is a live example of how, how how well are we doing it? And rather than just a filler statement, actually build on something you've just said. To be honest, I don't know if I just did or whether I just wanted to say that. But I don't know. I actually really love what you said then, Dan, because I actually think that in essence is our way in which we get better at it. Because we have this sort of a phrase we've used time and time again over the years, this idea of doing to learn. And this is the perfect example of the best way in which to get better at. Effectively, we're saying curiosity, but we're talking about effective dialogue. We're talking about progressive conversations that move us to a better place. And the only way you can do that is to practice. And that is being aware of exactly those elements. We're both trying to listen 
We're trying to understand. We're trying to be part of the conversation. We're trying to work out how we can helpfully add some thoughts. And all of those things are swirling around. And I wonder too whether our ego gets in the way and we're not really curious because we're a little bit terrified that we may not be enough. (laughs) So we come up with the filler questions rather than actually withholding judgment, withholding our view and actually getting really interested about somebody else. It's funny, isn't it? We're a bit fragile, I, I suspect. Yeah, we are, aren't we? I think it's a mixture of that and habit. You know, we're really good at just reverting to our habitual behaviors, aren't we? And so it's easy to fall into. And I think the thing that really props up that habit is exactly as you say, what got us here was being clever at something. And so we almost see our currency, our value as being what we can offer to other people. Uh, And we forget that actually they're probably thinking the same. And so then we just talk at each other instead of actually doing what you just described here, where we kind of stop and go, wow, this is really actually quite interesting. I I could learn something here. And oh my goodness, I've got to learn something. Does that mean that I'm not valuable anymore because aren't I supposed to be the one with the answers? And we're having this argument inside our head uh, at the same time as we're trying to listen and trying to offer. And (laughs) This sounds like, Andy, like our brains might be undermining us in some way here. Is is, it some sort of neuroscience, some evolutionary defense mechanism that leads us into that? Is there something going on in the brain that we should be aware of? Yes. So we all know about threat state. We, We know that when we perceive some kind of threat, we respond to that. And generally speaking, we'll respond in a a defensive manner, but either aggressive or passive. And so we either kind of retreat out of the conversation and therefore we're not really listening. We're just thinking about whatever I do, I'm not going to say something wrong. I'm just going to retreat out, disengage and be quiet. Or we're aggressive, defensive, and therefore we're moving forward and we're thinking, well, I'm going to get my thought in first and seem really smart. And so, yeah, so that's going on all the time. And we also know that you don't always know you're in threat state. So you're not that aware of when you're taking those sort of defensive actions, you know, whichever way it might be. I also think that we've got very used to not being listened to very well. So we have a low expectation of being listened to in the first place. So if we're trying to get better at being curious and listening really well, we don't even have people able to give us feedback on when we're not doing it because people don't really notice that they're not listened to so much anymore either. And so it's kind of on us to stop, pause, to really take note of, you know, how well we are listening and being curious. I also think that there's this sort of inbuilt need to hold on to some sort of position. And so that works against us as well. And I think that in some ways talks to your point about the way our sort of brains work and creating our own little sort of bubble of psychological safety. Because if we have a thought that we believe to be right, it immediately makes us more confident. And the problem is we don't want to share that with everybody. And so Otto Sharma talks about this idea of, you know, being aware of where you're listening from. And so you know, if you are your own point of view, you're listening from a very fixed place. 
and therefore you, you're not even realizing that other people even have a right to have a point of view because you're so right that either everybody's agreeing with you or they're nowhere uh, and so the practice is to kind of recognize when you might be a little bit stuck and that being your sort of trigger to go oh hang on I need to probably hold that a little bit lightly and then that opens the kind of the doorway to being a bit more curious more willing to listen I think that's a really good lead and actually Andy how 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 do we move through into that you started to talk about that you know awareness how as individuals or as groups and and maybe this is drawing on your own practice with with, um uh, with leaders and teams how how do you help them to sort of move into a more curious space i think it comes back to the point about psychological safety the first step is for you to realize that you're actually not on the hook to have the answer. And so in answer to your question, how do we do that with leaders? Well, we just make it really okay to not know. If we can let go of this kind of tight hold we've got on needing to know the answer or feeling like I have to be the one who provides this expertise or this worldly knowledge and tell everybody else what to do, if I can hold that really lightly, then I'm immediately giving myself the kind of permission to not jump in, but also making that really clear to everybody else that we can actually come in to a reciprocal conversation rather than a sort of a, a fight, really. It often fe- feels quite sort of pugilist the way we, we have conversation, certainly in business, because everything's so aligned to getting things done, task. And so the pace is always cranked up. So this idea of slowing down, stopping and actually listening is so foreign to the way we go about doing business. But when we talk to leaders, we hear all the time that we're actually the time and space to plan and properly discover and make really good choices is something we'd really like to have. So first step actually is giving yourself permission to not know the answer to not feel like you have to pretend to know the answer, which is often what happens. That's kind of step one, really. Do you think that generationally, you know, you, you've been in this business sometime like us, do you think we're getting better at this? Or do you think that the recent events, particularly around sort of a lot of fears being raised around the pandemic, we've had a shift to the way of working. Do you think to some ways relying heavily on technology and social media it's dumbing down our capacity to be curious because it's actually it's a bit more like grenade dropping sometimes in some of those situations isn't it and so if what are we learning here from each other about what's important in a conversation i think as you're answering the question i almost heard you sort of exploring and answering yourself i completely agree i think that wasn't very curious was it i I didn't even ask you a proper question i just i'd answer it sorry everybody (laughs) we're all practicing here we're all practicing Um, it's a journey no i think you're dead right i okay I'll, i'll speak from my own personal experience either i've become increasingly more sensitive to it or we've got a lot worse at it because the work that I do, especially with really senior teams, it's the number one thing that gets in the way of great relationships and a shared purpose. And we know the role that purpose of relationships play 
I mean, you look at the elements in Squadify, it's so clear. And often we also know, looking at the importance that teams place on certain elements, that they don't even value the things that actually the key drivers to being really successful as a team. And so not only do not value, but don't don't really see the absence of it. And so I think we've got a lot worse at it. And the obvious culprits are information overload, social media, always on, distracted, that kind of default network we can find our brain in, the internal chatter, the imposter kind of soundtrack that we play to ourselves, all of this stuff's just noise, all of which kind of works against our ability to be calm, present, and interested. Everything's sort of on high speed. So the idea of slowing down just feels wasteful almost. And yet this is when we need it most, would you say? I mean, this increase in complexity and speed is when we... I'm guessing, need this time to reflect and on all those multiple inputs. So we're sort of heading completely against the tide when we should be swimming with it. Well, I think that's so interesting, Dan, because it's a bit of a myth, isn't it, that if we stop, slow down and create some space, that equals a slowing of pace of performance, slowing of pace of decisions. Truth is... When we're not being curious, what I find with leadership teams especially is that they just go round and round in circles. So waste an infinite amount of time in misunderstanding, in agreements that are revisited or agreements that we think are made and then people go off and do something different, breakdown in relationships, lack of common purpose – All of these things occur when we're trying to go too fast because we're just spinning our wheels, repeating ourselves. It's a bit like the, you know, the myth around the amount of time it takes to trust someone. Actually, it takes a nanosecond to trust someone. I can just decide. I trust you. And now that may backfire, but if we both decide to do it, there's a very strong chance that trust will grow extremely quickly. But we think, oh no, it's going to take a long time. We need some things in place before we can do it. Well, what do you need? You just need intention and action following action. And I think curiosity, effective dialogue is exactly the same. We can actually make some decisions incredibly quickly if we stop and listen to what someone else is saying for a second. And if you're listening from that point of view of a sort of an open will, an open mindset, then you might just find that someone else has got a really good idea. And that is actually the answer. But if I'm not really listening to this and I feel more need to defend myself by having a better idea or trying to build back to your point, Pierre, about the fillers, if I'm just providing some fillers, how do we decide? How do we decide anything? Our decision making is really compromised. And there's also another angle to this, which is we've come across a few people like this who ask the question to make themselves look like amazing question askers. (laughs) You know, that they just, they become the most clever person in the room because they've asked a really probing question and they're not doing it really for the intent and purpose of being curious, are they? Is that the one where someone puts, I'm really curious in yes. front of what they're about to say? <laughs> and it's, it's, the word has been weaponized, hasn't it? You, sort of, <laughs> you want to just, let, just run for the hills at that point. I'm really curious about how I can get you to see my way. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I, 
it's it's interesting, is that I I think we're just conditioned back to the point about having the answer. And the thing we haven't touched on so much, I've sort of probably overemphasized the listening piece, but of course we said there were two parts to it. And the other bit is the talking bit, the making noise bit. So if we've established that, creating some space, some calm, present awareness and attention and interest, that's the listening bit largely taken care of. What we tend to find then is those questions that you mention are infinitely better quality it, it we don't have to actually think about and plan the questions we're going to ask or be really clever the simplest questions are often the best and they just flow from our level of interest they flow from our attention our, our being present to another person and as i say they're, they're often very very simple in their nature but unlock the most complex situations so there's some sort of indicators of how well someone's listening, I think, in the questions that they ask. And often if the question feels really complicated, it's probably a pretty good indication that the person hasn't really been listening. Because I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you listen and construct this really amazing, very clever question that somehow manages to make you look like a bit of a guru at the same time. I don't know how you do that. I'd love to know. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm still figuring that one out too. <laughs> the, there are, they walk, the people who can do it walk among us, though, don't they? It's a, they do, it's a, yeah. <laughs> I think in a really practical sense, there's a couple of other indicators. When you think about the construction of a question, a question that can be truly unlocking in terms of learning new things, finding common ground are as simple as, oh, that's really interesting. Could you tell me a bit more? Or how did you feel about that? Or what happened next? They're just simple questions and they're built with the prime intention of getting more useful information from the other person. When you hear a question like, do you think that? It's like this immediate Belisha beacon flashing. This person isn't really interested. This person is trying very cleverly to suggest something to you but by putting a question mark on the end it immediately becomes a question um not true not true there are some questions that are simply not questions they're just statements with a little bit of sheep's clothing a little bit of australian rising intonation at the end <laughs> to make it sound like a question <laughs> yeah that's absolutely right yeah right, good excellent this is an amazing topic and you've i think you've really helped us to see, I'm sure our listener will see, that if this could exist in the groups of um, people they work with, it would transform things. Where do they start? We've, we've talked about a lot of opportunity here. What, what would you, your tips be to, for people to get on the road? It, it really would transform things, wouldn't it? What an amazing place if people were truly curious with each other. I sort of, as you say, it's an amazing subject. I don't really feel like I've done it justice. But your question is, what, what's the sort of the first step along the way? Well, well, number one, we said was permission. I think that sort of shared agreement that we don't have to have the answers and actually agreeing the value of listening and being curious with each other. So, so there's a permission and agreement that needs to be in place. But it, purely in one's own practice, it has to start with practicing being aware of what you're actually doing. So 
have a favorite phrase, do whatever you want. Cause I'm a big believer in personal choice, do whatever you want, just know what you're doing. And so that fits so perfectly as an answer to your question. So the first step is try to get better at realizing what you're doing. Try to notice when you are genuinely holding your own views lightly and you are genuinely, you can almost feel yourself physically leaning in and hearing for almost for the first time sometimes the communication from another person not just their words but what's behind the words their intention the emotion their thinking the potential of what they're saying if you can feel yourself doing that i think on some of my best days i notice i do that i think oh i'm, I'm listening really well oh well done while i was thinking that i wasn't listening damn yeah. oh, I know that's it. <laughs> actually that's a really good point the second thing that i would say you've hit the nail on the head i remember really really early on in my coaching training actually somebody said to me once you know the best coaches are not the coaches who are amazing at listening and focused and never ever drift and are always on point with their questions they are not the best coaches the best coaches are the ones who realize when they're not the best coaches are the ones who realize when they've drifted when they've asked a poor question because it gives them choice and if they've got a bit of confidence and they've got a they've agreed a relationship with the person they're talking to, it's actually really fine to say, oh, I'm really sorry. That was a terrible question. Can I try again? <laughs> People are stunned. People are absolutely stunned when you do that because there's normally no social contract that allows you to say, actually, I didn't do that very well. Can I try again? But you imagine the un- what that would unlock if we could give each other permission to do that and say, oh, I'm sorry, I drifted then. I'm really sorry. Do you mind just saying that again? And I, I'm really going to try hard this time. <laughs> I love it. It would transform things. So curiosity is a practice and, and, and needs to be practiced. You could call it a skill, but I think skill comes after practice. The first thing that is a huge stride in the right direction is just get really clear on what you want and I think there's a bit of sort of soul searching almost about what kind of a person do I want to be in this world what kind of a person do I want other people to experience what what do I want to unlock how do I want to be a catalyst for change because I think if you explore those thoughts it's so much easier to realize that, well, my job here isn't actually to tell people what to do, especially from a leadership point of view. My job is more to help people do their own best thinking and gain agency in what they do and confidence and just thrive. I don't create that by telling people what to do or being smart. I create that by helping other people realize actually they're the ones who are the experts in their own life and they're really smart and so we've used this sort of theme of curiosity but I think it really boils down to intention if I'm really clear on my intention it's really easy to listen it's really easy to ask simple fantastically unlocking questions because I know what I'm there for and I'm not sure we often enough stop and think 
what is my intent here? What is the outcome that I'd really love to happen? Well, if I was honest with myself and I said, my intention here is just to make sure this other person knows I'm brilliant, well, have at it. (laughs) But my guess is that's probably not what most people would discover as being their key intent. When I talk to leaders, there are amazing people out there who really just want to change other people's lives for the better. And I think if you just dial back into that, this curiosity thing becomes a whole lot easier. It's a real question, actually. It's it, Your curiosity says a lot about how comfortable you are with yourself and, as you say, not knowing. And the ability to ask a question, how interested are you about other people? There was that famous Jim Collins quote when he was somebody heard him talking as a young professor and they said, how interesting are you, Jim, or how interested are you? And I think that's a key part. You know, how interested are you and how interested are you in, as you say, enabling others? And I think that's a, it's a very different angle to take. So, Andy, I'm going to ask you top three things a team leader out there to become more curious. What's some of the baby steps we need to take? This is probably the opposite advice from every other coaching program, every other leadership program. The first step isn't actually to think about what the core tenets of quality questions or active listening are. Because that, for me, kind of runs totally counter to what we're really looking to create here. Actually, step one is just to decide what kind of leader do I want to be? What impact do I want to have? And when I'm really clear on that, that's that's step one. Because I think that drives a level of curiosity and ability to listen. Second thing I would say is... All of this is relationship-based. So focus on the type of relationships that you want with other people. If you want a relationship with people where they just do what they're told and they come to you all the time and they ask questions that they probably actually know the answer to, but they're so used to just being told what to do, they come to you anyway, then you can go down that route. But actually, if you want a relationship where other people develop and they think for themselves and they make your job easier as a leader – then that's going to really change the way that you interact with them. The third and final tip would be, don't worry about it. Just practice. Try not to judge yourself whether you're doing well or not. And in fact, you probably would find that as you start to practice, you think you get worse. My advice would be, don't worry about that. You're not getting worse. You're just becoming more aware. And so you're much better equipped to notice when you're doing a good job, when you're not doing quite such a good job. So don't be discouraged as you start to notice the nuances of how you operate as a leader. Just put it down to increasing awareness, which should be a bit of a a pat on your back, really. I did notice I used the word judgment there, and that's one thing we haven't talked about really clearly. But I think that if there's a fourth step i'd really check in on your level of judgment that you are kind of carrying when you're interacting with other people because 
I think if you can be aware of that, judgment is a really big blocker to curiosity. If you're, if you're judging things, then really you're deciding before you're exploring and learning. And so, of course, we judge. Of course, we do all the time. But again, it's back to just practice noticing when you do it. And then you can choose to use it a little bit more judiciously. Four steps for the price of three. Four steps. I was going to say a little thirty-three percent bonus there on the top tips front. So, but but Andy, seriously, it's been uh, a delight to hear from you, and I'm sure our listeners will take a lot from that at all levels. So, thank you so much for joining us on We Not Me today. Well, as I pause to stroke my chin thoughtfully and curiously, <laughs> I've realised I really enjoyed this as well. Thanks so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. I've enjoyed myself immensely. That was just a lovely exploration of that rather large and really important topic. And I think, you know, on, when I was reflecting about it, I realised, Pierre, that it's sort of you know, we think of these three dimensions very often, system, team, and self. And I think curiosity lands sort of, there's relevance at all of those. You know, look at that system level to start with. The complexity that we, that exists now, even what you talked about at the top of the show around, you know, what's going on in the metaverse. This is a time when we need that space and curiosity. It's tempting just to try and keep up, but actually we need to slow down in order to make better decisions and, and connect with others. And I think um, contentiously, well, I think we've got to give ourselves the allowance to be curious and not think that we're a sort of conspiracy theorist in that process. Do you know what I mean? It's like we've got to question convention. Talk a bit more about that. <laughs> oh, you're getting good. You're good. I like that. <laughs> I learned fast. He did. He did. He did. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just think that... I think if we're if on a system level, we can't take everything at face value and we have to be interested about why things may be and challenge those norms. Not, not to be difficult, but to just for the, for the evolution and the betterment of humankind because we sometimes, as history will tell us, take shortcuts and we do things that are not – and, it, and and do we really have to wait 50 years, you know, till we're not here and then our children just go, oh, God, I can't believe they did that. You know, whereas in actual fact, I think we, we just, we should be asking, curious, be interested enough to ask those type of questions. So I think that's a really good. And find the truth in the other side, yeah. How do you think this operates at the team? Well, so I loved what Andy said about this, actually, how um, – when, you know it's not working when there's no space and and people are filling in the gaps and and that sort of moment of when, team or others when you're with someone else are you really paying attention to them or are you thinking about what you're going to say next I, th I thought those that's going to make it huge you know it's going to make a massive difference to the to the dialogue that you have in with with others or or with the team I think the last one that you mentioned individual so you know just that self. Woo, it starts with us, really. It really, really hit me the way he put it, actually, because I've always thought of that, that is right, you know, the B of curiosity, I'm going to be curious. Actually, he went really deep and said, what kind of person do you want to be? You know, in, in, that, that's pretty, you know, what, what impact do you want to have? Do you want to be the person with the answers or do you want to be that person who 
who leads the way is curious, gives space to others and allows them to have space and time to think. So I thought that was pretty profound. And I thought um, that went, that went a, a few extra sort of extra yards, which could be quite painful, but really, um, really powerful. And it challenges convention because we typically rewarded people who are clever who have the ideas and who tell us what to do. And so we've got to slightly get off that crack habit. All of us, have, we've, got to, we've got to challenge that as well because that's really self-serving in many respects, which is not curious and because that's quite defensive behaviour in many respects. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's – I think it's a great challenge, absolutely great challenge. And even if you just become a bit more aware <laughs> – of the questions that you're asking and what the impact is on the people that, that you are doing that. And then I think to, to, to be observant and to seek the feedback from that and build that into a practice. And as Andy mentioned, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, I certainly count myself in this, I got where I was by knowing things. And actually that's not going to get me to the next place. I need to be doing something. I need to be being something different, but those neural pathways are well, sort of quite well established. So starting to, um, yeah, be aware as, as, as he said of, uh, of your sort of curiosity at all times is going to really help people to make a start on this really exciting, um, and promising journey. But that's it for this episode. You can find show notes and resources at squadify.net. Just click on the we not me podcast link. If you've enjoyed the show please do share the love and recommend it to your friends and please also give us a rating on your favorite podcast platform you can contribute to the show by leaving us a voice note with a question or a comment just find the link in the show notes we not me is produced by mark steadman of origin thank you so much for listening it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me